Now, I was really excited when we, we had some of the songs that we, that we did because um, I thought, yes, I can preach those two messages rather than just one. So that's good, isn't it? Because, because you'd all like to know how the Jews celebrate Purim, wouldn't you? The ones that are living around the world. So they do four things, and I'm going to move through these rather quickly. First of all, they hear the Megillah, which is also known as the Book of Esther. So the Book of Esther, they read it, but they don't just read it once, they read it twice. They read it on Purim night, and then again on the day, because it's really important to hear that. And here's the deal, it's a bit, it's a bit of theatre or pantomime, because when Haman's name is mentioned, the, the, the children, I don't know whether it's a, a, a rattle, these graggers that make a noise... Yeah, them things that twirl around. Jane's just shown me. Uh, in, in, uh, in the pantomime, you normally go, woo, or when the villain comes on, don't you? So if you see or hear Haman during this, then you've got license to woo, okay? So that's one thing. Then they give to the needy. So one of the Purim's primary theme is unity, Jewish unity. Haman tried to kill them. They were in danger together. So, yes, somebody's sharp there. So they celebrate together too. Hence, on the day, they place special emphasis on caring for the less fortunate. So Jews give a donation to whoever asks. They don't verify their bank account first. As with other mitzvahs, and a mitzvah is a commandment uh, of of Purim, even small children should fulfill this mitzvah. Okay, so today I'm Jewish. Okay, Steve Cohen today, so I should be coming around later with my basket for you to fill. Here's the other thing they do, they give food. They send food to friends and to, uh, you know, family, different people. They emphasize the importance of friendship and community by sending gifts of food. Men send to men, women to women, apparently. It's preferable that the gifts be delivered via a third party, And children, in addition to sending their own gifts of food, make great enthusiastic messengers. What I like about the Jewish context, the way that they do it, children are very much involved because families are so vitally important. God created the family. He created marriage, traditional marriage that's under attack because he loves families. He knows that children need to be brought up in the correct environment with a loving father and mother who are committed for life to each other and that's the best way that they can uh, be fulfilled and uh, reach their purpose and destiny. When we do the cedar meal, you see that children are involved in that because you want to be able to teach the children and for them to carry on the traditions of the culture, and especially the Hebraic culture. The fourth thing they do is they feast. So they gather, they celebrate together. Traditionally, the meal begins before sundown and lasts well into the evening. Apparently, on, uh, when it falls on a Shabbat, then they have it uh, earlier during the day. But it says that the table is bedecked with tablecloth candles. They have bread or challah bread. Any of you that have been to some of our meetings, sometimes Jenny will bake the challah bread. And we have that together. It's made with honey and all kinds of nice things. Very sweet. They enjoy a meal featuring meat, wine, and plenty of Jewish songs. 
sing, drink, laugh, have fun together. And we've done that this morning. Now, here's some other interesting things. And this, this was the bit that hit me when we were dancing and enjoying ourselves. And this is so, so key. We have an entirely different attitude, and I trust you'll agree with this, towards something that's foisted upon us, something that we're made to do. And we have just a different attitude towards that than something that we believe in and something that we really enjoy doing. Is that right? If we're forced into something, it's like... So when it is forced on it, we only do the minimum. Is that right? We do that which we're required to do and generally nothing more than that. But when we choose to do something because we believe in it, we love it, we enjoy it, there isn't a limit to what we're prepared to do. Is that right? That works throughout life. If we feel coerced to fulfill the commandments, the mitzvot, and you'll be getting used to some of these Jewish terms, so when you hear mitzvot or mitzvot, then you'll know it's the command. We will only do that which is required. But when we see the mitzvot as our godly mission in this world, when we embrace God's will as our own, we will go way beyond the call of duty. And that is what Purim is all about. So the Jews accept the Torah as their own. They buy into it. And this is what uh, has been written. I'm just, um, I've just put onto these PowerPoints what I've pulled off the internet, written by Jewish folks. So they receive it as their own. They buy into the Torah, and it becomes their life and their true love. And so they've made this statement. It's no wonder then that we go crazy over it. Now, for those of you who thought that this morning was a little bit over the top, what is it that these crazy guys are doing? You'll understand now with the way that the Jews see the Torah, the word of God, how, what they feel about it. It says we fall so in love with the Torah and its mitzvot that we become irrational. We don't just want to read the Megillah twi- at once, we want to do it twice. We don't just want to give charity to the poor, we want to give unconditionally and in abundance to all who stretch out their hand. We don't just want to eat and drink, we want to feast to the point of oblivion. I don't know what that means, do you? Oblivion. I'm, I'm trying to like, keep my weight down and lose weight, so I definitely stay well away from oblivion, whatever that means. But it, they, they eat well, they feast, they know how to feast. And that's the message. It is the day they said, and I've not, let me say, I've not written this. This is a Jewish person that's written this. It's the day when we fall madly in love with God and Torah and are willing to go to the very extreme for his sake. It is the time we make the Torah our own. Isn't that incredible? Um, On Simchat Torah, you'll see the Jews, if you were... Uh, Well, wherever they are in the world, but especially if you are down by the Western Wall, you'll see them with Torah and they'll be dancing around with it. They hold it. They they love on it. They kiss it. They're just expressing their love for God and expressing love for his word. And they are irrational in that. We've been a little bit irrational this morning and the children have been involved. Because that, what it's, that is what it's all about. It's, it's being in love with God. If you're not in love with God, you're not born again. You're not saved. You want to go back, repent, and ask Jesus Christ into your life. Give him all and let go. Because if there's something that's holding you back, you've got an issue. You need deliverance. Talk to David and Irene. 
Some of you need to be free, get free, get rid of religion out of your body because it'll get shaken out of you either before heaven or in heaven. Hello? So, here we go. Now, so I'm into my proper message, so you can start timing me now, Dave. We had a... <laughs> last week, we, had a, we, did have a, we did have a visiting speaker. We had a Chinese speaker last week, on too long. And uh, she went for over an hour, so we made some little cards, just so that we can hold the cards. Are they there somewhere? Because when she was up yesterday, we made sure that she knew when she'd had her time. So we've got a pack... 30 minutes, you know, whatever, 10 minutes to go, and then time out, I think, is it? It's the last one, shut up or something. So, here we go. If you, if, if you want, hey, it was funny, we, we, um, the church that uh, Dave and, and Jill were part of, High Street, uh, we used to itinerate with uh, the, uh, one of the elders, Nick Pettingale, some of you, you know Nick, and we went to a church, a Methodist church da- down in, uh, in Devon on one particular occasion. And with it being a Methodist church, there was the, the thing on the wall there with the hymn numbers on, you know. But the guys didn't tend to use those ones now. But the little cards with the numbers on were sort of in the back room. So we, we, the team sat on the front row. So we said, get, get some of those cards. And then at the end of his preach, we'll hold the numbers up to how much we thought of the, of the card, you know, a naught or a one or a two. It was funny. It was funny. You're supposed to enjoy yourself in church. Come on, Jesus has given us life. If they get excited in the football ground, we ought to get excited. If you want to turn to Esther at all, you can do, um, because we're going to read a few little bits out of it. Um, I've just included this on this first opening slide uh, because it is this whole thing about for such a time as this. We quote it so often, don't we? We refer to it often, you know. uh, Have you come to the kingdom for such a time as this? So here's where it is, Esther 4.14. And this is an amazing statement. Now, Mordecai is, is, is having a conversation with Esther. Now, Mordecai... Uh, his uncle and aunt were the uh, parents of Esther, okay, uh, Hadassah. And her parents died, and so Mordecai took Esther as his daughter and, and looked after her. So she was his cousin, is that right? So that's the relationship. So he's having a conversation now with his cousin. And he says this, If you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. What a statement of faith. In other words, your obedience or you stepping up to the plate, if you like, is not going to be just purely dependent on what happens to the Jews, but it will be dependent on what happens to you. Because if you shut up and don't do something, God will deliver his people through someone else. His faith was in the future of the Jewish nation because it was God's nation, God's people. And no matter what man has tried to do to wipe them out as a people over the millennia, God has always preserved them. 
So his faith was, was out here now. Even if you stay quiet, he'd got no idea how it was going to happen. But he said a deliverer would come from somewhere else. Sometimes you and I face circumstances and we do not know what the end result's going to be, how it's going to turn out, what is going to happen in the future, but we trust God, don't we? Because even if the thing that you and I are trusting in falls to the ground, God will find another way. We have to believe that. God will bring deliverance to us even if the thing that we were trusting, because so often we'll trust in people or we'll trust in money or we'll trust in some other thing. We'll trust in the doctor. We'll trust in the surgeon. But if our trust is in him, then he will bring deliverance. So he said, but it's not going to go well for you. If you stay silent, Esther, you and your father's house, they will perish. Yet... Who knows whether you've come to the kingdom for such a time as this. So I want to say today, for such a time as this, you have been created. Because Ephesians 1.4 says, Just as he chose us, just as he chose you in Christ before the foundation of the world. Now some people are trying to tell us the earth is billions of years old, aren't they? And it evolved over billions of years. Well, if that is the case, you were thought of a long time ago. If the world is only thousands of years old, then you were thought of just thousands of years ago. But God has always had you in his mind, in his heart, in his plan. You were always going to come forth. That little boy we prayed for in the watch this morning... He has been planned in eternity past for this time. That's why he must live. And the enemy must not take him out. So you and I have been chosen. Say, I've been chosen. So, Purim, in a nutshell, we're going to move quickly. It's celebrated on the 14th of Adar. Now, they're going to be celebrating it next weekend. It's kind of going to kick off on sort of Saturday evening as the sun goes down into Sunday and then Monday, as you'll see the different dates as we, as we go through this. And it does commemorate this amazing salvation for the Jewish people. So the Persian Empire of the 4th century actually um, included 127 different lands, and here they are in orange. It was a massive empire that King Ahasuerus, who's also known as Xerxes, It was an amazing territory that he was ruling. So 127 lands. And all the Jews were its subjects. So he decided on this particular day that he was going to make a feast. Now, um, he had a feast for six months. What kind of a feast is that? (laughs) 180 days. He had it for his officials, you know, uh, the hierarchy... I think we should do one for the leadership team. Why the leadership team? Somewhere? Just celebrate for six months. I mean, I've, you know what I mean? It's cool, isn't it? There's so much prophetic significance in this because God is not a miserable God. We've, we've got this idea, particularly if you come through certain uh, church denominations, you think that God must be miserable. It must be old. It must be out of date. It must be irrelevant. But he isn't. He is anything but. 
Anyway, I, I just want to read these few verses out of, uh, out of chapter 1. Because he had this six-month feast, and everybody had all the lovely jubbly over that period of time. Then at the end of six months, he has another feast <laughs> for the city. So in Shushan, where he was, in the capital city of, of, uh, of his empire, he then has a seven-day feast. And it says, the king made a feast. This is verse 5, now chapter 1. When the, when the six-month deal was expired, the king made a feast. All the people that were present in Shushan, the palace, both small and great. So that would have been you and I. We'd have been invited to that one. We might have missed the first one with all the important people. But we'd have got in on this, on this one, the seven-day one. And they were in the court of the garden of the king's palace where there were white, green, and blue hangings fastened with cords of fine linen and purple, hey, we've got the purple here, to silver rings and pillars of marble. The beds were of gold and silver upon a pavement of red and blue and white and black marble. They gave them drink in vessels of gold, the vessels being diverse one for another. So it wants a job lot from Ikea. You know what he's... Can you imagine the wealth, the whole city? We're not just, you know, we're talking about a fair few. I'd imagine a few thousand people, even in that day and age, every single cup that they drank out of was different. God is lavish. The vessels being diverse one from another are royal wine in abundance according to the state of the king. Now, here's the important thing. I'm going to read this bit in the... uh, in the Amplified, and drinking was according to the law, no one was compelled to drink, okay? So, you know, if the police were waiting afterwards for anybody that was going, you know, too fast on the camels or the donkeys afterwards, <laughs> and they caught drink driving, there was a law, so they, you know what I'm saying? They would have made sure they got a taxi home or something like that. It was done properly, you see what I'm saying? The king had directed all the officials of his palace to serve only as each guest desired. So you weren't having drink forced down you. That's the important thing because we don't believe in that, do we? We don't preach being teetotal, but neither do we preach that everybody should drink wine. So, but they had a good time. They had a good time. Now, here's the thing. The queen had her own party for the ladies during this time of of the feasting. And it came to the point in his feast where he was merry. So I would suggest he'd had probably a little bit too much to drink. So he then says to his eunuchs, right, I want to show the queen off because she's really beautiful. It's like me wanting to take Jenny places. You know, she can't hear what I'm saying because she's through there. You see, he wanted to show her off because she, she was very beautiful and all of that. And she had lots of beautiful gold uh, attire and, and all the rest of it. But here was the deal. She said, I'm not coming. Oh, my word. The king got so angry. And he said, what on earth are we going to do? And he pulled his advisors together. Oh, there were men. I think this was a brethren group, you know what I mean? Or some other church denomination, I don't know. He pulled into against, what on earth are we going to do? Well, they said, 
if you let her get away with this, every other woman in all of the empire, they're all going to say to their husbands, get off. I ain't cooking your dinner. I ain't cleaning. (laughs) So they say, hey, we can't have that. We can't have rebellion. (laughs) So... This is in the scriptures. So he says, this is, this, is, this is the Bible. Then he sent letters to all the king's provinces, to each province in its own script and to every people in their own language, that each man should be master in his own home. <laughs> oh. They said, hey, we might have a feminist movement going on here if we let her get away with it. It could get worse. We could give women the vote. It could be very dangerous. We've got to step on this one, guys. No, every man has to be a master in his own home. Now, you didn't know that was in this story, did you? Isn't this interesting? Do you see there's some real lessons to learn? And I'll stop before I hang myself. Because that comes in the story as well. So they said we're going to have a we're going to have a pageant. We're going to we're going to find Miss Persia. So as you know, Esther was the one that was chosen, and she she was. Uh, well, let, let me do let me do this next one before I get carried away. So we've got two queens. I think this is important because we need to notice this. We've got two queens. We've got Vashti, and we've got Esther. You, you decide. Now, this is for the men as well. Come on now. This is not just for the ladies now. This is for all of us. Vashti loved to entertain, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's great. But she was selfish, and she only wanted to please herself. Hello? She was only interested in pleasing herself. Now, Esther, on the other hand, she went through a process of sanctification Six months with the oil of myrrh, then six months with perfume and all sorts of other preparations. Can you imagine? She must have looked beautiful, smelt beautiful, her skin must have been incredible. She was eager to learn palace protocol. And Mordecai taught her what she needed to do because he was her mentor. As I was reading this, I was thinking, the Holy Spirit is our mentor. He teaches us how to behave in the palace and with the king. Esther wanted to please the king. She wanted to know what the king wanted. What dresses did he like? What kind of jewellery did he prefer? What perfume? Which perfume house? Was it Chanel? Was it Dior? Was it Gucci? Which was the perfume house that was his favourite? She wanted to please the king. Oh boy. And when the crunch came, she didn't come to the king for herself because she said, you better fast and pray because If I go in there and I don't get the scepter that you see here, if he doesn't stretch that out, I'm finished. I'm going to go the way that Vashti went, or maybe worse. So she said, 
I'm going to go anyway. Even if I'm, I have to die, I'm going to go at such a time as this. And so she didn't think about herself, but she was thinking of others. So Lord, I want to pray right now that you would show us how to learn the protocol of behavior in your court, in your presence, and what pleases you. God, we don't want to be people that please ourselves. Well, I'm not doing that because I, 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 just, I, just, I don't want to make a fool of myself. Lord, may we be ones who only want to please you, who are abandoned in our love, in our adoration. Lord, teach us today what it means to please you and how we can please you. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. I ain't finished yet, so... Now, okay. Haman. That's Mordecai. He's the good guy. Okay, here's a modern day Haman. Ooh. Ooh. He wasn't a nice man, was he? Here's the guy, the actor in a more modern remake of the film who plays Haman. Okay. Now, Haman. (laughs) That bloke was very important to the king and the king made him the prime minister. Okay, Haman, he got a very, very important position. But Mordecai, and, and, and this deal went out that everybody should bow down to him. I mean, you can think about other stories where that's happened with old Nebuchadnezzar. But everybody was supposed to bow down to Haman. Ooh, wicked Haman. But Mordecai said, I am not bowing down to that dude. Okay, I'm not going to bow down to him. I'll bow down to Jehovah, but I'm not bowing down to him, Yahweh. I'm going to bow down to him, but not this guy, not Haman. So you can imagine how that other man must have felt. Every time he saw Mordecai, we might say today, he got up his nose. We'd say that, wouldn't we? Yeah. We might say other things, but that's the polite one. So, obviously, Haman was incensed, convinced the king to issue this decree. And so they did, they had a lottery. This was the thing. And this is where Purim comes from. The word pur, P-U-R, means lot and cast in the lot. So, like a lottery. So, they, they had one, and then it occurred on this particular day, the 13th day of uh, Adar. That's when, it was, that's when it fell on. So he said, right, we're going to kill all the Jews, not just Mordecai, but the whole lot of them. We're going to kill them. So Mordecai then began to galvanize all the Jews, got them together, started fasting, started praying. And meanwhile, Esther uh, had this idea, I'm going to invite the king and Haman to a feast. So they go along to the feast 
And the king says, you know, anything that you want, you can have. Up to half the kingdom, like Jean said, you can, you can have any of that. And she said, well, I'd like you to come back to another party. So Haman was invited to, to a feast. And here we have it, Esther 5 verse 9. So that man we mentioned went out that day joyful with a glad heart. He was really excited. But when that man saw Mordecai in the king's gate, that he didn't stand or tremble before him, he was filled with indignation. And moreover, Haman said, Queen Esther invited no one but me to come in with the king to the banquet that she prepared. So he's he's full of pomposity and, yeah, all that stuff. Pride and... And tomorrow I'm again invited by her along with the king. Yet all this avails me nothing so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. You know, every time I see him, it just does not compare, you know, the, the, uh, the elevation that I'm getting right now doesn't. When I see his face, it... Phew. So his wife and all his friends said to him, let a gallows be made. You know what? 50 cubits is over 100 feet tall. This wasn't some little thing. This was serious. He really did get up his nose. Mordecai did. He just, this was it. So big deal. Made a big one. In the morning, suggest to the king that Mordecai be hanged on it. Then go merrily with the king to banquet. And the thing pleased Haman. So he had the gallows made. There it is. The gallows is being made for him. Now, here's this wonderful. That night, the king can't sleep. He doesn't want to count sheep. So he thinks, I'll go and get the book, War and Peace, and we'll, we'll read that. You know what I mean? Let's bring out the records of the Chronicles. That, that'll bore me, and then obviously I'll fall asleep. So <laughs> they go get this book, and they start reading. And they read the bit where, actually, Mordecai has saved the king because... Two of the naughty eunuchs were going to kill him. And uh, he exposed that and saved the life of the king. So then he asked this question, what has been done for Mordecai? What have we done? How have we blessed him? How have we dignified him? And they said, well, we ain't done nothing at all. We've not blessed him or anything. So the king then asks that guy that we mentioned earlier, and, and he said to him, you know, what should the king do to someone that he really wants to honour. What should he do? So, of course, Haman's thinking, he's full of pride and and all that, oh, nasty, that we don't like in us, do we? We want God to get rid of, but he's full of all that stuff. And he's thinking, he must be talking about me. Oh, well, let's, let's have not just any robe, but a robe that the king's worn. Wouldn't that be wonderful? And a horse on which the king's ridden. Not any horse. And, you know, a year's supply of Thornton's chocolate or something. You know what I mean? And um, let's have all these lovely things. And then let's lead him through the streets and make a real big deal of this. (laughs) It's so funny, this. I mean, it's pure theatre, isn't it? Don't you think? It's pure theatre, it really is. I mean, yeah, wow. So, prayed him on horseback through the city square and proclaimed before him, thus shall it be done for the man 
whom the king delights to honour. So then the king says to that man that we've mentioned, hurry, take the robe and the horse as you suggested and do so for Mordecai the Jew. Oh! Can you imagine what he must have felt like? It's like, oh my word, I should have kept my mouth shut. Do you know what? The enemy always oversteps his mark with you and I. Come on, this is a good one. This is get your own back time. I love watching the movies where, you know, it always comes good in the end. You know what I mean? The hero always wins. I, like I don't like it. There's certain films I've watched and I thought, I don't like that film. Most of it was good till five minutes before the end and the hero dies. I just think, no, that's not my kind of film. No, that's it. Imagine this. Come on, no matter what has happened to you, God can turn it all around. Romans 8, 28. All things. Amen. Those things, yeah, all things work together for good to those that love God, to those that are called according to his purpose. If you're not called yet according to his purpose, get the calling, get born again, and then all things will work together for good, for your good. Okay, this is brilliant. This is really brilliant. I love it. You can imagine a pantomime like this, can't you? So, afterwards, I've, I've made this up. Okay, it was gutted and he had a monk on. Do you use that term? The barber said he mourned. I just say he had a real monk. We used to say a certain things a few years ago. It's Jenny in that she's not in there. She's out there. We used to, Oh, she's there. Oh, my word. Okay. We used to talk about a Cooper mood. Cooper mood. But anyway, we won't go there. So he's feeling really miserable and gutted, but he's going to the next feast. He thinks things, things might get better at the meal. So the king does the same thing again. He says, Esther, anything you want, up to half the king, you can have what you like. So now... She reveals her identity, because up until now, she's, she's kept quiet that she's Jewish and that she's related to Mordecai at all. So she says this, and again, this is coming straight out of the book of Esther. We have been sold, my people and I, to be destroyed, to be killed, to be annihilated. Had we been sold as male and female slaves, I would have held my tongue, although the enemy could never compensate for the king's loss. So King Ahasuerus answered and said to the Queen Esther, Who is he and where is he who would dare presume in his heart to do such a thing? And she turns around and says, The adversary and the enemy is this wicked Haman. Imagine how he's feeling now. Oh my word. The king goes out into the palace garden because he's got a problem now. This guy he was trusting, prime minister, head guy. He'd put his trust and faith in him. He's now, what on earth am I going to do? You have these kind of situations. Something hits you, a piece of information, and you think, I've, I've got to think about this. So he goes outside. He has a ponder, wanders around the garden. What on earth am I going to do this? Goes back in. In the meanwhile, Haman, <laughs> nasty man, he's begging now the queen. 
And when the king comes in, he's actually prostrate over her couch. So he says, my word, not only have you done this atrocious deed, you're now trying to attack the queen. Man, you have gone far too far. So the king went ballistic. So it tells us that he was hung on the gallows that he'd prepared for Mordecai. He, we, we use that French term, don't we? Being hoisted by your own petard. You remember that one? You set something up, you dig a hole and you fall in it yourself. We pray that sometimes, don't we? Uh, because it's, it's, in the, it's in the scripture and you know, we say, Lord, these things that are going on that we don't agree with, Lord, where they're making plots and plans, let them fall in their own hole, you know, let their own devices come on them. Well, he'd built this huge gallows and he felt the neck tighten. No, the rope tighten around his neck. And that was it. He was out of here. The enemy always goes beyond, and we're safe. Hello. So Haman was hanged, and Mordecai was appointed prime minister in his stead. A new decree was issued, granting the Jews the right to defend themselves against their enemies. So basically, they went out, and they killed loads of their enemy, which was really good. Yeah, exactly. We can destroy the enemies that are coming against us. And then... On the 14th day, they rested and they celebrated. So on that day, the king gave Queen Esther the house of that naughty villain who was the enemy of the Jews. And Mordecai came before the king because then Esther told the king that he was related to her. She was cousin to Mordecai. So then the king took off his signet ring, which he had taken from Haman. And he gave it to Mordecai, and Esther appointed them over the house. So they ended up having everything that belonged to that naughty man. Now, the enemy has robbed us of all kinds of things, hasn't he? I don't think there's one of us that's had, that hasn't had stuff robbed. Health, friends, money, property. He's audacious. But I'll tell you what, (laughs) judgment day is coming and turnaround time is coming as well because the things that that naughty villain had got was given over to the queen and to Mordecai. So we get the wealth of the wicked is laid up for who? The righteous, for us. The wealth of the wicked. There's a lot of wealth. So it's going to be laid up for us. Now, here's the thing. We're going to finish. And Jenny, have we got any of that oil? Because there were some of you that weren't here uh, yesterday. And um, we anointed everyone with the oil for the month of Naphtali. Because this is the month to overcome your enemies. So have we got the, t- have we got the two? Because you and I did it, did we? Oh, yeah, we used it, and then we're selling it in the bookshop. I like that. That's good. That's good. That, that, my kind of business people here. <laughs> you know, one of, the best, one of the best things, I was selling a tie in the bookshop. I sold the tie and made money on the tie, and somebody bought it and then gave it to me as a present. 
I love it. I haven't dared put it back in the bookshop. I mean, I haven't quite gone that far. I can't remember who gave it me, so I'd be in a lot of trouble. I want it all back. That's a good one. Okay, so listen. She hid her identity for quite a while. This is the time for us to reflect our true identity, who we really are. Don't hide behind a mask. Don't pretend. Get rid of any of that stuff that's hindering you being who God wants you to be. If you're struggling in worship, you know, and you, and you, you, you won't let yourself go, then there's an issue. Then just get some prayer. Get free. Get released. It's a month to overturn worry and anxiety. Corrie ten Boom says worry is, is a cycle of useless thoughts that's revolving a center of fear. So deal with the fear. Don't, don't just, you know, well, I, I don't worry, I'm just concerned. You know, don't make excuses. If, if you're worried about something, it means you don't trust God, and that's sinful. We, we, had, we, had a couple, we had a couple in a house group once, and, and uh, I, I kind of mentioned this in this house group setting, and the, the lady said to Jenny, she said, you know, I really love you, but I'm not so sure about your husband. <laughs> because she was a champion warrior, and when I said worry was a sin, she didn't like that at all. But it is, it's a sin. Because if you're worried, it means you don't trust God. And what happened to the ten spies when they created an atmosphere of fear? A whole nation had to be wiped out because they um, destroyed God's reputation. They wouldn't trust God. God said, I've given you the land. They wouldn't have it. God says, I've given you all kinds of things. I've made you the head and not the tail, above and not beneath. I've blessed you with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So you should not be in a place of defeat and worry and anxiety. How's it going to work? Because God's already given it to you. So listen, repent. If you're a worrier, repent. Repent and then trust God and rejoice 